Welcome to the Academy Podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing rich content for the purpose of spiritual growth. I'm your host, Claire McKeever Burgett, and I serve as the Associate Director of the Academy for Spiritual Formation and International Ministry of the Upper Room. The Academy creates transformative space for people to connect with God, self, others, and creation for the sake of the world. Today, we're joined by my friends Sophia Agterup and Amy Steele of Vanderbilt Divinity School. Sophia joined the Divinity School staff in 2017 as Director of Communications, having worked at the University of Washington in advising, recruitment, and retention, and most recently, the United Methodist Church's Communications Agency. Her graduate studies include communication and digital media from the University of Washington and theology from Seattle Pacific Seminary. A transplant from Seattle via Southern California and Iowa, she lives with her spouse, newborn, and three dogs in Nashville, Tennessee. She enjoys food and travel, and even more so when they are done in tandem. Sophia is a deaconess in the United Methodist Church, a lay order whose call is to engage the world through a full-time vocation in ministries of love, justice, and service. She provides leadership for Moral Movement Tennessee, a grassroots organization building a multiracial, intergenerational, interfaith, anti-poverty, pro-justice moral movement in Tennessee, and she also works with the United Methodist Women. Amy began serving as the Assistant Dean for Student Life at Vanderbilt Divinity School in summer of 2011. She is an ordained Baptist minister who earned two degrees from Vanderbilt University, the Doctor of Philosophy in Religion, Ethics, and Society, and the Master of Divinity with a Certificate in Black Church Studies. Amy's doctoral dissertation is titled The Mystical Aesthetic, Howard Thurman and the Art of Meaning. She has scholarly interests in the areas of social ethics, spirituality, philosophical hermeneutics, homiletics, aesthetics, and pragmatic theology. Prior to her employment at the Divinity School, she served as the project director for the Sustaining Pastoral Excellence, a Lilly Endowment grant at American Baptist College, where she had charge of a $3.9 million budget. As assistant dean for student life, she is responsible for community care, worship, and spiritual formation, and advising student government. She is also challenged to provide individualized care by offering confidential space for students to converse about vocation, life cycle changes, and the sphere of their educational experience. In these meetings, Amy assists students in identifying resources that assist their varying transitions. The Academy and the Upper Room have partnered with both Sophia and Amy, as well as with Vanderbilt Divinity School on many endeavors. Most recently, the viewing and panel discussion of Backs Against the Wall, the Howard Thurman story, that included Academy faculty person Luther Smith. What follows is a conversation with Amy and Sophia about spirituality and justice, how COVID-19 affected the Divinity School and shifted theological education, about taking care of ourselves and others in these strange and intense times, and so much more. Of course, we gathered on Zoom for our conversation, and there are a few sound quality issues, mostly at the beginning on my end, so please hang in there with us. We're grateful that Zoom allows us to connect with folks all over, 
and we trust you understand the growing edges of what it means to meet virtually. From Howard Thurman, to repurposing a bullet casing into something hopeful, to cooking in the time of COVID. Listen on, beloveds, and enjoy. Sophia and Amy, welcome to the Academy podcast. I'm so glad that you're here with us. It's my first time doing a Zoom conversation with more than just one person at once. So thank you for joining the grand experiment. We'll see how this goes and we'll uh, just be thankful that Zoom is allowing us to gather together today in this way. And of course, I've shared uh, information about you in uh, the opening and uh, we'll get more into kind of who you are in your own words. Before we get into all of that, I always like to ask folks sort of about the spiritual geography landscape of your faith. So uh, where do you come from? Who do you love? What does it look like? And if you would just use your words uh, to tell us about that. So I'd love to hear from both of you. So Amy, you want to get us started? Yeah, sure. Thank you, Claire. Um, I just want to start by saying uh, this is such a a unique privilege for me. This is my first podcast. (laughs) And so, yeah, I'm excited about it. Um, I think that the question that you've asked is just so beautifully worded. Um, I I think that um, I'll begin by just saying that I'm a Tennessean. Um, I was born in West and raised in East, and now I've lived in Middle for 20 years. And um, and I think part of what I love um, about being from Tennessee is that it's such a beautiful state, A, and then a beautiful state of artisans and storytellers and musicians, and the list just goes on and on. Um, you know, I think about all of the topography, the the mountains and the lakes and rivers and re- reservoirs and everything that runs through the state. Um, so that's kind of, you know, what I think about when I think about where I am from. Um, I, you asked about the geographical landscape of our faith and um, kind of like what it looks like, what it feels like, what it smells like. And um when I think about that, I think, you know, right now it, it kind of looks like a journey through the Appalachian mountains, <laughs> you know, like through the Smokies, um, replete with beauty and bears. Mm. <laughs> um, and so enough right now for me to enjoy, but also to take uh, proper precaution. So thank you. Thank you. Sophia, what about you? Um, when I read this, I was like, this feels very like Krista Tippett-esque. And I, and I always listen, when I listen to On Being, I'm like, gosh, how would I answer the question about my sort of like spiritual journey, autobiography, landscape? Um, and, and then here I am um, with that question. And sometimes I feel like I'm a little bit at a loss for words because, you know, where do you, where do you begin? Um, you know, I, as a pastor's kid, uh, I was formed, I think, by a lot of people and experiences in different parts of the world, you know, from like rural 500 person Iowa to, you know, Southern California and then um, the Pacific Northwest before coming to Nashville. Um, but I think um, I, re- I recently re- reflected on this question. And I think for me, um, it uh, was informed a lot by sort of the values that were ingrained in us girls growing up. And that was, um, you know, 
is there someone who doesn't have food? Is there someone who needs a place to be? And just these ideas of hospitality. Um, and so I think I carry that with me today and thinking about, well, we're sort of transplants here. I mean, we don't have any immediate family. It's just myself, my spouse, our child, and our three dogs, which is a, a full house that we did not necessarily plan for it to be um, that big with all the living beings in our home. And now that work from home is here, it's Correct. a little bit more of a cramped space. But, you know, I think we still ask the question of like, who needs a place to be? And I think that some of that questioning kind of guides what we do. And um, yeah, so, so for me, um, home really is where we're kind of planted, even though physically we'd obviously love to be near our parents who are currently in Guam or my sisters who are in Seattle or my spouse's <clears throat> um, siblings and mom who are in Japan. But um, I think home is, is kind of where we've, we've made it to be. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. The question is definitely influenced by Krista Tippett and on being, but also um, the spiritual geography came from reading Kathleen Norris's Dakota years ago. I'm an English major. And I think one of my professors said, Hey, you need to read. I don't think it was even on the syllabus, but given my interest in sort of being from West Texas and geography, theology, writing, I really gravitated toward that. So I've, I've been thinking about that for many years now and continue to, and, course being from texas and living here so living lots of different places it's been an interesting thing to reflect on at many many points along the journey so yeah but, but i love the idea of geography because we think you know so there's that common question and i think some christian circles about like what's your autobiography autobiography or um what does your spiritual journey look like but the idea of a geographical landscape to me is very interesting because it has for me a little bit more nuanced because you think about topography, you think about like mm-hmm. terrain and all of these other, maybe a little bit more tactile things. So I, I really do. I'm with Amy and like loving how beautifully you phrased those questions. Mm, thanks. Yeah. And one of these conversations I was having with uh, Roger Owens, who's one of our faculty, he talked about how he's from Indiana. And so he understands God really big and expansive and wide open because there's not trees and it's kind of the flatlands. And I was resonating with that being from West Texas, but then he's in Pittsburgh now. And he was saying that people there love the trees and understand that as God giving them a hug. And I was like, okay, that's similar for my husband who grew up in Nashville. He loves the trees. He loves the Hills. He loves a city. He loves buildings. And, you know, I, I kind of oscillate between that and just wanting to be, out in the middle of nowhere. So it's interesting to also have these conversations with our loved ones, friends about sort of how they're understanding faith in God in relation to the landscape. So, so I have, like I said, shared in the uh, opening your bios. So what's your vocation Um, or, you know, what, what's not on a screen and find, you know, by, by doing a search. And I'd love to hear in your words uh, more about you in that way. Well, you know, it's what I'm about to say. It really does seem in some ways very simple. Um, 
but I've actually been thinking about this and, and I've said this to people for the, for several years that my vocation a lot of times feels like a ministry of words and um, you know, whether it's the sung word or the spoken word for me, the danced word um, more often it's the written word or the teached word or, or taught word, excuse me, or the preached word. Um, I've been thinking about even my vocation uh, to parents and how even parenting is, is like a, a stewardship of words. Um, and, and uh, you know, and really how you're called to, you know, sort of steward someone's life through words. Um, that's what's not on paper. I mean, there are lots of things that are on paper, but at the end of the day, I think, what am I doing? You know, it's almost like I am dealing, you know, my currency is words. I'm dealing in words. Um, and then I think, you know, how many times have either we've, we've thrown a lifeline or someone has thrown us a lifeline with one little old casual word, you know? Um, so, I mean, that's the, that's kind of like the behind the scenes. That's what's behind <laughs> the words on the page is mm. that it really does feel like a ministry of words some, sometimes, a lot of times. And tell us uh, real quick about your family. Ah, oh. who's in your family? Yeah. Whether, what's, yeah. The well, composition? my most immediate family, I am, I is, I'm sort of, um, I have a, my home is made up of a sort of a non-traditional family. So I have my, my son, who's my, actually my godson. I've been raising him for the last forever years. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm off count now. <laughs> and so uh, he's a jun- he's a rising junior. Um, wow. My niece lives with us. And so I have um, another little person. Um, her son is six years old. Um, and so, yeah, um, my family here in Nashville is sort of made up of, of the four of us that live in this home and then sort of extended family members who are really like, um, you know, you, it's, it's your acquired family, um, friends that have become family. Um, and then, you know, my, uh, my family, my, my, um, family that I grew up in. Uh, my mother is deceased. Uh, she passed away about a decade ago now. Uh, so it's my dad and my brother and his family. And then a whole host. My mother was from a very large family. And mm. so a host of uncles and aunts and cousins and, you know, all of the folks that come along um, with, uh, you know, sort of those extended family members. Lovely. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Sophia, what about you? What's not on, on paper you want us to know? Yeah. Um, well, it's not on paper, but it's all over my social feeds and that is food. Yeah. <laughs> I, love, I love food and, um, not just the eating, but the ways that we gather around it and prepare it together. Um, there's, you know, I was reflecting on this. Um, I reflect on this often enough, especially over the last 
couple of years or so, um, but there's something about food that is able to transcend the barriers that we've put up. Um, it enables us, I think, to have the conversations we might not have had otherwise. It enables us to gather with people who we might not have necessarily called friends or shared a meal with or sat next to. Um, and even thinking about, um, you know, ways that um, ways that have offered like comfort or um, a sense of escape or peace, um, especially during this time of pandemic, I found myself just like in the kitchen more. And unfortunately, I don't have coworkers and friends I can just go out and deliver it to. I mean, I've had a few students or former students who I've um, met up with to like give masks to and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm bringing you a meal also. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, but it really has been around food so much so that a few years ago I started doing pop-ups at the National Farmers Market, which have greatly uh, reduced in the last year or so. But um, there's there's been something about food sort of being this like vehicle or catalyst to exchange ideas and mm. cultures and um, and communicate something that maybe sometimes words cannot. Um, but you know, having worked in like these spaces where I've had to um, be responsible for like managing conversations or community in these virtual spaces, like on social media. Um, I wonder if some of our problems of the world could be solved by breaking bread and sharing a meal together. I, I truly believe that. Um, so, so food has been um, something that has been very important to me and, um, and holds a lot of memories for me. Yeah. Do you have a particular favorite dish that you've made in the past few weeks or do you love all of them? I mean, I love lots of food, but I, I joke a little bit or I, I chuckle a little bit at like this um, COVID cooking hashtag. I mean, it's real because for folks like not doing grocery shopping as much, we're just raiding our pantries and fridges. Like I, I made a salad the other night and it was like, okay, I had tomatoes in my last grocery run. I, I found radishes because we subscribe to this thing called, um, well, what they do is rescue produce that isn't able to be sold or is like imperfect basically, right? Um, so in our box, we got radishes. And so I made a quick salad and I found feta in my fridge that a friend had made and give, had given me in December. It was still oh, beautiful wow. and delicious and I used it. And so I think we're just, for me, it's been like a little game of like, um, what can I make with the ingredients I have on hand? Yeah. And, Will it turn out edible or not? We will find out. <laughs> we will find out. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm home uh, with my family and one of the members of my family is a four and a half year old. And so we're always looking for creative ways uh, to engage him. And he's, he's very tactile. And so a couple of weeks ago, we got on Facebook with my parents and did a lot kind of cooking together of the same recipe, just a simple chocolate cake, you know, with sprinkles and frosting and all of that. And it was, I mean, he loved it, but we loved it. I mean, our, we were just so, it was beautiful, uh, the ways that we, uh, that lifted our spirits and, and we found it so cool. And so it's like, okay, once a week we're and so this past week we made ice cream together, uh, which was really fun. Um, Wade gets to choose most of his are going to be sweet. So <laughs> anyway, but just the um, thought of like, 
all of these separate ingredients and things can come together and make something that's like beautiful and nourishing to me. Yeah. Just mind boggling. Yeah. That's so funny. Over, you know, you talk about the pandemic and how cooking and eating um, has changed a little bit. And so for the very first time in my life, I made fish stew. You know, it was a phone call with my aunt. I was like, you know, I've got this catfish. And she said, what do you think you're going to do with it? And I said, well, I was thinking about grilling it, you know, something quick and easy. And she was like, why don't you try fish stew? And mm. I thought, that sounds so good to me. And so she went through a list of things. I actually, you know, found a recipe online. Not that I didn't trust my aunt. <laughs> I mean, you just I time out. I was like, I think I might need to see some concrete, you know. <laughs> And it turned out really good. And I thought I probably would, n- would never have had a conversation with her about, you know, ingredients and, and um, about making, you know, something like this. I don't know. It just seemed so out of the ordinary for us. Um, mm. As much as we love fish, we've never made fish too. So yeah, co- hashtag COVID. <laughs> what, what, was, what was the hashtag again? COVID meals? Yeah, yeah, COVID cooking. lunch floating around right now. Yeah. Yeah, COVID (laughs) cooking, I've seen that. So I'm curious, what does it look like uh, for the two of you and your various leadership roles, clergy roles, uh, to share this sacred meal? Um, You know, so for me, communion is just so kind of central to my faith. And I've written about it. My master's thesis was on (laughs) communion. Mm -hmm. I even said um, after, you know, sort of graduating with my, um, the professional degree, the master of divinity degree, I said, you know, if somebody could pay me to serve, (laughs) to just serve communion, I would do just that because there's so much symbolic meaning in, um, in the ritual and the sacrament for many and, um, but the way that we're doing it now, I mean, at first it felt awkward, you know, because you, we, for, first of all, where I'm worshiping now is the United Methodist Church, been there for about 10 years and um, in about three, I think it's three or four years as an associate. Um, and we're a congregation that, you know, we celebrate the table every Sunday and um, it's kind of just been the way that we've done things. It has, um, you know, We've been able to interpret that. And then we, a lot of times we're using um, very common liturgy that, that a lot of um, mainline uh, churches use. We use the great Thanksgiving, but we've also put into that so much interpretation. It means, means a lot um, even beyond sort of what we say each week. So it's been a little different uh, being, gathering together as a virtual community and using for the very first time, this was maybe a month ago, elements out of the, you know, out of the pantry, out of the refrigerator. And, um, and one Sunday I remember it was just my son and I, we had taken just a slice of bread, like, you know, from a, from a a loaf of bread, we had taken a slice of bread and um, whatever juice with some fruit juice in the refrigerator and, uh, and we used it, but hearing the words and participating in the ritual through very familiar words and language and stories um, just brought us all back. I mean, it was almost an Emmaus experience, you know, it just mm. brought us back into a community that we love and that we've celebrated with for so long that 
suddenly it didn't feel virtual. You know, it felt like we were right in, you know, sort of a tangible material space with the people we love. And what rose to the top, for me anyway, what um, emerged out of that experience is that, again, not to, not to be so word heavy, you know, I don't want to, um, but, but in this case, it was, you know, sort of the emanesis, it was the participation in those words. It was the words mm. and the meaning brought back to life that was so meaningful with the, with the loaf of bread, you know, that we had cut into triangles like a pizza. It wasn't even that, you know, it was just right. sort of, you know, and, and um, you know, dipping that, you know, sort of communion by intention. Um, while I had those hesitancies at first, I was like, mm, you know, it really became what it sort of means to, to me every Sunday. And so I was really grateful for that. Um, the, the, um, the, actual, um, the actual items sort of fell into the background and the meaning came to the foreground. And I was really appreciative of that. Sophia, what about you? What are you seeing? How are you practicing? Yeah, um, the church that I attend, we've been doing worship online now since like mid-March, I think. And for the first few weeks, communion was not a part of our virtual gatherings. Um, but over the um, course of the last few weeks, it has been. And what has been done is uh, a separate Zoom call um, for communion after the the worship has been broadcast on, on Facebook and YouTube um, premiere. Uh, and um, I, you know, as a lay person, I have always loved communion. Um, but what I think I love about it is, you know, in thinking about um, food, right? Like I, I talked about food earlier and how, um, how it, it helps us hold memories and experiences and, and smells and sights and sounds. Um, but the idea of not just remembering and recalling, but like remembering and, and putting back together um, that anytime we share a meal, that's something so ordinary and so common as, you know, the rice that we're having or the soup that we're having or, or the bread that we've toasted um, is a way to, um, to remember our connectedness to God and to one another. And for me, that's such a beautiful thing because, um, you know, I think folks have been debating and um, sort of theorizing what, how we do sacraments in these online spaces. And that's fine. And that's for, that's for clergy to, to wrestle with as a layperson. I'm glad I don't have to necessarily be a part of all those conversations. Mm. Um, but I think we are given the, the tools and the elements to continue celebrating what it is that we have um, been celebrating for many, many years. Um, I mean, I, I do miss being able to share that with people sort of in the same building, but I think that um, offering something like communion online or, or our gatherings online has allowed us to connect with one another in different ways, which I think is really beautiful. And, and I hope that whatever the next version of um, church will be for folks, and what gathering will be that we remember um, what things we have opened ourselves up to that we might not have considered before that have been really beautiful ways of uh, connecting uh, virtually. Yeah. 
So I'm curious your thoughts, uh, both of you, whoever wants to chime in about COVID-19 and this global pandemic, and particularly for those of us who are spiritual leaders, uh, how do we respond with wisdom and love? Uh, and, and are there any examples of folks you've seen who've really been offering us the love, the wisdom that we need right now? So, you know, the digital space for me has been a space that I've operated in for a few years in different ways. And obviously it's changed over the, you know, last five to 10 years. Um, But what has been interesting to me is, are the things that have been revealed because we've had to shelter in place or work from home or find workarounds to the way that work, work, ministry, whatever was normalized before, you know? Um, and I, I have found it fascinating that, uh, not even fascinating. It has been affirmed that the things that were inequities and injustices before this are, are confirmed now. We're just seeing it more now. And it's perhaps even exacerbated now. Um, but the things that we said could not be done, have been done right like look at that we found a way to to meet even if we weren't in the same conference room Uh, we found a way to help one another in ways that maybe we didn't do before but always had the means to right like I'm finding I'm finding myself being the recipient of and the giver of like care packages and letters and other things that um we could have always done you know um uh, even the idea of like mutual aid, right. That has resurfaced again. Um, there are so many ways that we have been able to uh, love God, serve neighbor now that have always existed, but I think we've just not felt a sense of urgency to do or engage, which to me, um, you know, I I do not ever wish that we will experience something like this ever again, nor do I consider this a silver lining because no, um, you know, considering the deaths and, and all that's happened around the world because of this um, pandemic, um, there's no silver lining. But I will say that I, I think that this has caused us, I hope, to pause and re-examine what was sort of typical or normal um, that we use as an excuse to not really be fully present or love one another or um, be gracious to one another um, that has now been revealed that like it, it caused this moment for us to really truly like do some self-examination or do some um, revising of what was normal or typical for us whether that's the ways we engage with our families, you know, like we've had every single meal together here, which we did not hardly ever do before this. Um, You know, we, we play outside more. We read books together more. We FaceTime our family and friends more, all things that we had access to before, but um, for whatever reason, we just didn't engage. And, and so I'm, I'm grateful for it, for the, the pause that we have been forced to take um, but I hope that in doing that, we we can find practices that have not just been like beneficial or not just sort of a temporary thing, but that have re- that really will alter the ways that we do life together. Yeah, 
and I, I will just note one thing uh, when you when you asked about sort of um, what have I observed um, maybe organizations or individuals doing um, one thing that I have um, appreciated is um, the work of Faith Matters Network and Jen Bailey you know is one of our alums at the Divinity School um, but the work that they're doing around um, movement chaplaincy and even um, the care that they have um, created or provided um, for those who are either at the front lines or those who are um, finding themselves stretched because they are providing care for others um, during this moment, but implementing their community care office hours so that folks have a way to, um, to be supported um, in this particular moment, I, I think it's been a beautiful um, response to this pandemic. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I mean, that's so well put. Um, you know, one of the things that being um, quarantined, sort of finding ourselves in the middle of a pandemic um, has revealed to me is um, what has been our reliance on structures that sort of you know, there's structures that sometimes we, you don't even think about, you know, you're just so used to participating in them. You rely on them, you know, whether or not it's the structure of a day, you know, you know that, um, you know, for instance, part of what gets built into a day is travel time and, um, and how you, uh, how I've come to rely or how, how I had come to rely on travel time as being a time of, you know, sort of debriefing and, you know, getting into a different space um, and, and, you know, sort of being in addition to that sort of being, um, you know, living in, in different times now has also brought the reality um, more than, more than we sometimes even want to, to know, but the reality of the fragility of life, you know, just how fragile life is um i think you know part of the question sort of you know how does it look how you know how does our life how do how do our lives look now and how did how um did this virus did this pandemic impact our students even really you know when i look out not just over my my life my individual life and life of the people that live with me um, but I look out over the lives of our students, I see that, you know, it just sort of, I saw folks wrestling with what it meant to, um, to watch the crumbling of structures, but also be given, you know, sort of, Sophia, what you're talking about, being, being given like this creative, you know, creativity and grace um, to create new structures and to think, anew about life and what's most important in life and reconnecting with the people that we love, reconnecting with people that um, we might not even necessarily know, but that we see um, daily. I found myself um, learning the things that I've learned from friends who work with unhoused communities um, came back to me so vividly, have come back to me so vividly during this time, mm -hmm. their wisdom. And so, you know, one of, one of our practices, Isaiah and I, um, on the weekend, 
because socks and you think something is so um, taken for granted as socks are, um, socks really became a part of our buying them and distributing them to our in-house friends really became a part and have become part of our routine. But it's like, it's this weird sort of almost even liminal space of, again, the crumbling of things, but also the create the creation of, of new things, new structures, new habits, new practices that have really emerged. Um, there is no silver lining. I agree with that. Um, but there have been, it's almost like, you know, the, 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 um, how after a storm, the suddenness of the rainbow, you know, or the, the unexpected thing happens after that, that you're like, well, you know, this is, this is how humans adapt, you know, and I just, I've seen that in so many small ways within my own life. And I've seen that in huge institutional ways that, um, you know, it, it's sort of, it, it's a very good feeling. I'll put it that way. It's a good, it's good to know that, um, that we can adapt and what we're adapting to, I want to think, is our highest um, religious, maybe and moral values, that those things are, you know, bubbling up in us and causing us to be rerooted in something that we have long identified with but it's sort of taken new life in us. We've been home here in Nashville since the middle of March. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nashville, mm-hmm. of course, was one of the earliest cities in the South mm-hmm. to have the stay at home, which of course has helped us immensely. But tell me, what did it look like at the Divinity School and mm-hmm. um, for students? And, um, you know, I think one of the questions I wanted to ask was, was there a particular thing that one of your leaders, one of your colleagues, family member, friend mm. offered you as we transitioned mm. that was, that was helpful. That was hopeful uh, mm-hmm. that helped you stayed grounded. Mm-hmm. So let me just talk a little bit about um, for us, a little bit of the timeline, because I think the timeline is really a major sort of, you know, maybe protagonist in the story, right? Um, We were on spring break and um, many of us were in different places for various reasons. And um, the Monday after spring break, which I think would have been, I don't have my calendar up, but I think it was maybe March 9th. Anyway, the Monday after spring break for us, um, folks were sent to class, you know, as, as normal. And um, we received an email later that evening stating that class was canceled for the rest of the week. And, um, and we've kind of taught, we've joked about it at the Divinity School a little bit as much as we can, you know, as much as we can find laughter in tragedy that um, the course of that week was, was really a major um, it was, it was so much happened in the course of that week um, where we were attempting to, again, bring some semblance of um, structure to, to chaos, you know, to really sort of think, 
what are our lives going to be for the rest of the semester together? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were one of, we're, we're a, a school in theological education that had not yet moved to online um, coursework. And so much of we had to, much of what we had to think about was just new. And um, I felt like me, you know, the, the, we didn't mention this word before, but there was, there had been some resistance, you know, some, maybe some of that was um, us um, imagining what theological education had been and what it needed to be in the future. And for many that didn't include online, you know, uh, I'll just be honest with you, but, um, and so, yeah. Um, so what we did in the course of a week was move coursework. We moved, um, you know, community oriented, um, what am I trying to say? Community oriented sessions online, like worship and spiritual formation, meditation, um, all everything. We moved everything online and it was a massive feat. And, um, and I guess two things stand out for me, a piece of advice from a family member and then a piece of, you know, um, I'm going to call it grace um, from a colleague there at the divinity school. Um, I can remember, and it may be not in these explicit words, it being said that we did need to give ourselves a lot of grace. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've heard that in more than one um, institutional virtual gathering that, you know, grace is what we need. Grace for ourselves because we're managing um, boundaries that have slipped, that have collapsed. And so, the, you know, the, the boundaries that we were so used to and, need, and really needed. Um, in terms of moving from work to home to church to, you know, all the things, um, those were now gone. So we really did need to give ourselves grace in our students. Um, and then my father, who is an interesting person, um, served in Korea. Um, he was not a, um, a career uh, military person, but, you know, still kind of had some of that and still has some of that you know, grit about him. We started talking, um, you know, two or three times a week and we would end every conversation with, or he would end every conversation with keep a stiff upper lip, (laughs) (laughs) which we would, you know, fall out laughing, keep a stiff upper lip, you know? Mm -hmm. And so um, anyway, I think it was the balance of his advice, um, keeping a stiff upper lip, you know, which is, I tried to balance that with keeping a tender heart and an open spirit and a clear mind, you know, all of these things were at play and we were being called to uh, be present in ways that we haven't been present before. And, um, and so I sort of toggled between, you know, needing to, to, to live in grace and also needing to, you know, to sort of be present in ways that I hadn't been asked to be present before. And, um, and it, it has been interesting. I think, you know, um, when this is all over, hopefully there will be a date that we can look back and say, oh my goodness, you know, we lived through the pandemic of 2020. <laughs> yeah. And here's what happened. You know, hopefully we'll be able to say, yeah, well, we did really approach it with a sense of, of grace, you know, a graciousness about 
human limitation mm. um, and what's possible, but also what is not possible. <laughs> I laugh because I can't, I can't believe how long it is that we've been working from home. And, you know, when was the last time we yeah. saw each other in the hallway? Um, it's been a minute. It's been like eight weeks. I was counting up until week six. And then after that, I, I the weeks go by faster and I, I've lost track. Um, but I, I will say it was, um, what I've appreciated is for a school that has not brought itself online for instruction, we pivoted very fast <laughs> to get up what we, to get up online what we had to. And I think um, that really spoke to really the collaborative nature of, of the way that we approach work and ministry in that setting. Um, and uh, and because we knew we knew it was going to happen eventually, I think when we when we really stopped to think about it. But for me, what I appreciate is also that it wasn't just instruction, but it was um, how do we continue? What's the thread? We keep asking ourselves, what's that thread that runs through all the things that we do? And I think um, community life and worship has always been one of those anchors at the school. And so so it was only natural, I think, that um, both you know weekly meditations and our worship times also moved online to continue to provide that space for, um, for folks to gather. And it wasn't just students. It was like faculty, staff, people from um, other parts of campus and um, alumni and those who had just heard about it. Um, and so to be able to do that as quickly as we did, I think um, was less a testament to our technical abilities or any of that, but it was really a testament to, this needs to get done. How do we do it? Um, and how do we do it as well as we can? <laughs> yeah. And our hunger for community, right? Yeah. Given, yeah. yeah. Knowing yeah. that like, I think with, with all the updates that we kept getting really daily, it was like, well, um, let's just, let's, let's do it and let's do it well. And let's, let's make sure that there is a way that we can still stay connected. Um, because, you know, just thinking about our students and you, you go to class one day and the next day you don't realize that like, oh, well, I'm not going to see those folks again. And also I'm graduating and I'm not going <laughs> to, there's just so many, so yeah. many layers and emotions and um, questions that, uh, that uh, I was, I was glad to be, to be in ministry and in work with the colleagues that we had because it was really like, does this need to happen? Okay, let's make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, and to have a dean that was flexible enough to say like okay let's let's do this yeah. um was was a real gift because it it can set off lots of anxiety i think when you have a very tight grip on things but when you have someone who's a little bit more fluid and, and trust that the work that we're doing collectively is is good work and um and will get done i think is is really helpful <laughs> Yeah. Well, as I'm listening to both of you, I'm thinking this is what so many faith communities were facing as well, right? Who've never done online worship, barely have a Facebook page, if at all, or, you know, much less any other online, you know, social platform. And all of a sudden saying your doors are closed, you know, and, and figuring out how to offer that liturgy and that space and that community in a virtual reality uh so uh, there's just so many parallels there 
that I'm hearing. Um, and then for us in the academy, the same thing. Uh, our academies were postponed and delayed and, you know, on multiple levels. Uh, and I'm sure y'all had people you needed to get safely home too, right? Students flying wherever they needed to fly or drive or, and that was kind of what we were looking at too when we were making a lot of our decisions. So yeah, being able to pivot and um, have the, the grace and the resiliency in the midst of that is quite, quite the task that all of us have been asked to, to hang out with. So as, I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I just realized that you had one more part of the question that I didn't answer, but just wanted to add one more yeah, um, please. comment. And, you know, you, I think I heard you ask um, what was some helpful advice that someone might've offered to you. And, um, you know, the first few weeks, it just felt like it probably still does. The hours just sort of like blend and you wake up and you look up and then it's like six o'clock and you're still working. And I think those, I think sort of the nine to five day or whatever that, that time frame was for folks just sort of like bled into other parts of the day in your life. And um, I think for, for a very brief moment, there was a feeling of needing to, you know, overperform because it was like, well, I'm working from home. I need to like produce more. And I, I, by the second week I was like, Nope, we're in a, <laughs> we're in a pandemic. I am now, my spouse and I are now the full-time childcare providers for, you know, our small human. And um, it's not business as usual. And the more I told myself that and gave myself permission to like, yeah, my child needs me or my child needs a nap and I'm not going to keep working from like, you know, 8 a.m. to whatever, 5 p.m. straight. Like, it's okay to take breaks. And even the, um, our boss, our dean, Emily Towns, was clear. She was like, you can shift your work hours, you know. Like, there are, <laughs> there are other things that you've had to take on or had to adjust because of how life is now and that's okay. Um, and so being verbally hearing that, between that and my sister texting like, are you done working yet? Are you done working yet? I mean, she's in Seattle, but just the question of like, yeah, I, there's no reason why I need to be sitting here in front of this screen for the amount of hours that I was um, because, because we should not be operating as we, as if we were not experiencing what we're experiencing and, and to keep reminding ourselves that I think is really important. Um, so I, I just wanted to offer that reflection. Yeah. Our leaders at the upper room and discipleship ministries kind of as the umbrella organization have really been so wonderful. And in fact, the last Friday and this coming Friday, they gave us off in honor of mental health awareness and deeply grateful that we are recognizing and naming mental health as a priority and uh, as a reality that helps us, you know, stay grounded and centered and offering the care to our children and offering the care to ourselves and offering the care to all of the other people who want us to show up on Zoom, <laughs> you know, at different times of, of the day and night. So, I, yeah. yeah, I hear that. Yeah, I think strangely enough, it's like reminded us all of our humanity and, um, and the need to like see people as human 
um, and trying to, you know, live the best way that I can. Um, I know my counterparts across the university, you know, folks who are in student affairs across the university, um, who, who don't have a particular, you know, sort of religious investment in their students. Um, I heard them asking questions, not that this is, you know, only a, re- a religious question, but asking students, how are you and what do you need? Um, you know, questions that we don't always ask students. We know we, mm-hmm. we uh, might be that those are assumptions, might be that the assumption is only, you know, this particular office should ask those kinds of questions. But I think um, more broadly than before, we were all taking up that work. And, um, and we knew that it was a part of the work that we needed to incorporate in whatever it might have been, you know, for, you know, um, it may have been incorporate that in your, in your lecture, you know, a check in with students, um, incorporate that in the worship service, you know, a time to, for folks to actually um, give their prayer concerns. Um, and so, but, but the idea that you know, it was suddenly okay to be human mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in ways that we hadn't necessarily, like you're saying, you know, we hadn't been given that permission before. Um, was refreshing. Yeah. So I want to be mindful of our time together, but I really would love to hang out for the last kind of few minutes in this space of contemplative spirituality and justice. And of course, at the Academy, we do so much work on the inner and the outer, that, that the ways that we're tending to our inner lives, inner landscape, inner spirit, absolutely have everything to do with how we then are responding in faith and love and wisdom uh, to the world and the world's needs and to our neighbors' needs. And so I'd love for, for your to hear your thoughts about how um, contemplative spirituality, faith dances and hangs out with justice. That question is so, again, beautifully worded. Um, it is a privilege to, um, to talk about it, you know, to, to be in the position to have a public conversation with folks you know, again, I don't mean to be the institutional person here, but, you know, institutions who care about these kinds of questions is such, to me, is like a privilege. It's an honor. Um, I immediately, it's probably no surprise to you anyway, um, turn to Thurman on this question. And to me, it's really central to what, um, to, to sort of his core messaging. You know, it is the question of, you know, why, what do these two things have to do with each other? And to put it in in your terms, how do they dance? How do they play? These ideas of um, the inner and the outer. Um, He has an idea in the luminous darkness. And um, in the luminous darkness, I'm I'm just going to paraphrase. I didn't even look it up, but it's just kind of stayed with me. Um, He's, it's it's an idea um, that sort of starts with the individual. And he says that, you know, if I sit long enough with myself, um, sit long enough with myself and look deep enough um, through 
I don't know if he says this word, but through myself, what happens is not only do I begin to see the contours of my life, but I, I, I will see you. I look long enough. You will come up, you know, your face, your humanity, your experiences. Um, I kind of hold that in concert with um, what he writes. Now, this one I did look up, what he writes on mysticism and social change. Do you mind if I read this? Can Please I just read do. this brief quote? Yeah. yeah, go. He says, and, and this is actually an unpublished paper um, out of the Howard Gottlieb Archival Center, uh, Research Center at Boston. But he says, the ascetic impulse having as its purpose individual purification and living brings the realistic mystic face-to-face with the society in which he, this is not, you know, inclusive language, in which he functions as a person. He discovers that he is a person and a personality in a profound sense, can only be achieved in the milieu of human relationships. And he says this, personality is something more than mere individuality. It's a fulfillment of the logic of individuality and community. Mm. You know, and it's, you know, I've had people ask about this thing um, because you do have strands of mysticism and spirituality and contemplative practice, you know, however you categorize that focus primarily on, you know, um, the, the individual, the person, the self. Um, but with Thurman, and I think it largely because he is um, a black man who has a particular kind of American experience and a particular historic moment. Um, never sees, um, you know, himself or the, the role of the mystic or the role of the contemplative as merely focused on self, of course. Um, for Thurman, you know, like he says here, it is about um, how our personal experience sort of overlap with the framework of, of, um, of experiences beyond us, that we are tied you know there's a there's a unity between who I am and who you are and who I am and who you know my immediate community and also my the global community is that I cannot think of 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 my own necessities apart from thinking about your necessities that um you know it's like King what King talks about this invisible thread that runs um through our experiences as, as a you know, as a human family. And so, and I think it's really important. I mean, you know, pandemic, of course, um, I'll I'll say it this way. It's a good time to be thinking about things like this because there is the tendency because you can't go anywhere really um, to focus on self. But then you realize you can't do that for very long because there are absences, right? You know, Sophia, you were talking about it just, it, there's an absence of not being able to touch and hug and feel and, and you know, look, in, look into um, the eyes of the people that we work with, that we are in this work with, that we have this vocation with, mm. you know. Um, yeah, so pandemic has caused us to think a little bit more deeply about it. But, you know, for a lot of us, we were already thinking about how we're connected with the rest of the world. Because you had to. Because yeah. you had to. You know, we have to. Yeah. It's, yeah. The, nature, it's the nature of our, vo- our vocation. Um, 
but it is the nature for me, you know, it's kind of the nature of love. I think that when we, uh, when we look at our inner lives and what it means and looks like to cultivate that and how, how that's connected to our outer actions, um, I think they have to be mirrors to one another. Um, I think that, I think that if we aren't able to pause and reflect on, um, you know, we could be, we could be showing up at every rally. We could be on every organizing thing. Um, but if we don't pause and examine sort of the why behind that, um, then I think it becomes just more, maybe busy work it becomes maybe a badge that we can show to folks um but when the two are um are not connected with one another or dancing with one another or having sort of like interplay um then i think we have we have to do some self-reflecting and ask uh why that is why are we filling our time with you know every possible thing that on the outside sort of give gives the marks of a very committed justice loving person um and and maybe that's more for me and a piece of advice to myself than than anyone or anything else is um is really asking the question of of the why 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 does showing up at this rally um spark something within me um and then the flip side of that is why have i gone to five or six different organizing things this week and not taking a moment to just like recharge or ask myself, you know, these set of questions. Um, and, and I think for me, you know, one of the things that I think about is if we aren't able to do the inner work, then what, it, what is it that we are able to offer anyone else or the movement or sort of other work in general when we haven't had the time to, um, to pause, like sit in silence or just sit with ourselves. I think um, sometimes we get so engaged in so many other things that perhaps it's, it's so that we don't have to sit with ourselves. Right. Um, I think, I think there's something to be said for that too. And so um, for me, the, the two have to be connected and related to one another. Um, otherwise I, I think there's, we're doing ourselves a disservice. We're doing a disservice to organizations and individuals who we um, say we care about. So now, now I've, I, I'm interested to see sort of how that has worked given that everything is done virtually. Um, do, <clears throat> is some of that reflecting able to still happen or does it all sort of just like blend together um, and, and because we can tune into Zoom calls and um, attend webinars as much as our calendar allows, um, I wonder if we have, we have to be more intentional now than ever to create space for whatever the inner work looks like for each of us. Um, yeah. We're the academy staff tries to check in with each other every morning because we are accustomed to meeting together and uh, about 15, 20 minutes of centering prayer uh, in, you know, a small conference room in our office and just being quiet together. And so 
we've tried to check in with each other most mornings sort of after we've done that for at the very beginning of being at home, we uh, would get on FaceTime and just be quiet together on FaceTime. And, you know, we'd hear the, the birds in Johnny's neighborhood and the dog in, in Donna's neighborhood and that kind of thing, which is actually pretty comforting. But, um, but now, you know, we've, instead of saying, okay, at nine thirty or whatever, it just worked best just to check in and say, you know, had some quiet, feels good. And, and that has helped me feel like I have some sense of, uh, like, I'm not the, I'm not, it's not all on my shoulders. I guess. I like, I have some help. Uh, I have, I have, so, I mean, accountability is a, a weighted word, but in a sense there, you know, I do have someone hanging out with me in that space and that feels helpful uh, because I'm the type that can easily skip over it and just kind of go on with all the things. And then I sense like, Ooh, let's take a nap, right? Like mm-hmm. legitimately, like let's just stop. Uh, so, yeah. And I think our bodies will let us know, right? When we have oh, it yeah. to ourselves, it's like, I'm feeling very exhausted or, mm-hmm. or I need it. <laughs> this morning I was like, I'm going to take a nap at 10 o'clock just for 15 minutes because yeah. I'm just feeling really tired. And I think that, that that's what happens is I think we get these like physical manifestations or people notice like the, how curt we are in a conversation or just little things that I think um, our, our bodies will let us know when like, Oh, I think you need to do some work over here. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. If my body doesn't let me know, my family members that's do. Right. That's <laughs> right. Someone will gently judge you. <laughs> exactly. Oh. Like, I don't think mommy is <laughs> on her A-game today. You yeah. Know? And the sign around my house was the growl. Like, whenever you heard that, you knew, oh, am I, is that how I sound? <laughs> mm-hmm. no. Like, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> But there is something to the check-in. So um, one of our colleagues, Laura um, Heifetz, Reverend Heifetz, she's in um, admissions, vocations, and stewardship now, right? Yeah. So she started um, a weekly check-in, and it was just, a, you know, an email. I've watched it, and it's been so good. So there's the freedom. I, re- I, I resonate with what you just said. There's the freedom of, you know, you read her check-in, and it's, it's personal, you know, it's work related, it's all the things and you get a, you get a little text of it. Um, and then, you know, on various days now it's twice a week, maybe once a week. I can't remember, but we started out twice a week. I think it's kind of falling back to once a week now. Um, you know, some weeks people were like, eh, you know, like nobody was saying, you know, like I didn't respond every week. Let me put it that way, you know, because there were some weeks I was like, I don't, I can't. I want to read what other people have said, you know, like that's important to me. That feels good. That feels nourishing. Um, You know, I want to do that. And then some weeks you want to participate, but what I was resonating with what you just said, Claire, it's like silence, you know, being in a community where what's being communicated is the science. I think it's so beautiful a lot of times we feel like the spiritual life is work and it is, you know, I mean, there's the journaling, there's the things, you know, mm-hmm. there's the, um, direction, spiritual direction. I think about that. There's work within that embedded in that. Um, but then sometimes it doesn't have to be work. You know what I mean? Like not work in, in the ways that we understand work, 
but it's the sitting and it's the listening to the birds together and the dogs barking together mm-hmm. that can be and we didn't quite don't you know I don't know if there is a scientific measure mm. uh, to the in, impact of that kind of spiritual discipline just sitting in the silence but um, yeah doing that with a collective group of people I think is just mm, yeah is um it's something it's uh it's you know it's just so meaningful I resonate and with that apparently there are whole zoom meetings for meditation mm. that folks are signing into and holding these spaces or then doing the breakout rooms uh, mm. with just a few people and being quiet together. And uh, one of the, the things at my last session of an Academy, um, sister Nancy Shrek, who is um, a leader in the women religious uh, order throughout the world. And anyway, but she said the number one thing she would say to any spiritual leader before making a big decision to sit together in silence for at least 30 minutes Mm. before you start writing things on a board or, you know, and that tying it back here to the pandemic is honestly what we did because we made the choice as the Academy to uh, cancel our advisory board meeting the first weekend of March because we had folks flying in from Washington and California and all that. And we had a very intense, very charged phone call uh, with our advisory board because there was just so much and that that just came to me. And so Johnny and I went and just were quiet and Donna, our our other colleague, she joined us and uh, that helped, right? Like just bring the blood pressure to, I mean, if nothing else, right. Even if I, it just brought kind of brought us back down to earth, mm-hmm. uh, which was really helpful. And, and so I try to remember that, uh, mm. as, uh, as we go through this, Oh, I hear my child calling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure your children are calling as well. <laughs> like, Oh, she's not still asleep. Um, well, I am just so grateful for, your uh, time and space and insights and musings today and that you would join us. And, you know, as we move forward, uh, we are looking at different ways the Academy can be in this virtual space. So I know Amy, I've talked with you a lot um, about getting to an Academy, but of course, Sophia would have you on my list too. So maybe it can be more accessible as we look at the different ways, you know, mm-hmm. that, as you said, mm-hmm. Sophia, we thought weren't possible. And mm-hmm. now we're finding out that they are, uh, mm-hmm. that you actually can have spiritual formation <laughs> online. You know, right. Um, so, so all, all to say, we, we, of course, want you, want you in our, in our space um, and in our sphere uh, for the long haul. So thanks for joining us today. And I just wonder if um, I had asked you ahead of time, but if you had a, a scripture or a poem or a blessing or something uh, that either of you or both would share as we close our time together. Consider the elements of air or wind, fire, water, earth, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can do this anywhere. You can step outside, you can do it in your small apartment, whatever your setting is. But, um, you know, just pausing for even a few seconds to consider the air or wind and consider the ways that our breath flows in and out of our lungs, um, especially in this moment when folks are gasping for breath, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's because their respiratory system has been attacked from this virus or because they're an essential worker who has been working nonstop. Um, so many situations where, where folks around the world are gasping for breath. But then I also think about the spirit and the way the spirit moves through everything, right? So, yeah. um, and the spirit is as close as our breath, right? Um, so I think about that. I think about air and wind and breath and spirit. I think about fire and, and the, um, the feelings, the images that we recall when we think about like light and warmth, but also about like the spark of creation, that that can occur when we think about just like lighting a single um, candle or a matchstick. I think about water when I'm like rinsing the rice that I'm about to cook, you know, just feeling like the water run through my fingers or rinsing vegetables before I chop mm-hmm. them up um, and water just being like the source of life. Um, I think about the earth and the soil, you know, I think many folks are are feeling like they want to start gardens in their homes or, or their spaces, right? So um, thinking about the ways that um, we can feel the earth beneath our feet um, and the promise that like fertile soil brings. Um, so so for, for me, that would be sort of a offering that I leave to those listening is, is recalling the elements and the ways that we are connected to them. Um, whatever space we find ourselves in, I think we can access um, each of those pieces. Thanks. Safiya, I feel like your voice was prompting me on this morning. <laughs> oh, oh, how so? so? Well, I went on a walk, right? And so I, my, my typical, um, not typical because I don't do this every day, but my pattern has been maybe two or three times a week to walk. Mm. And um, I've gotten up to a couple of miles. Anyway, um, I went for a walk this morning and um, had forgotten that it had rained. And so there was, you know, I'm noticing all the things. I'm noticing the elements. And, um, and I happened to look down and there was a bullet casing on the ground. And I thought, well, there you go. <laughs> you know, talk about interruptions. Um, and so I began to think about once, just real quick, and you can get this out, but once um, I was given a gift and the gift was um, an angel that was made out of a bullet casing that I then, you know, I put on a um, bracelet. It was just so interesting. And there was a little card attached to it with a note, um, card about the, the artist. And then there was a note on the back of it from the person who gave it to me. So I was thinking about all those things, but then I got to thinking, yeah, you know, maybe that's what um, part of what we're being called to do right now is to, you know, think about the Ahmaud Aubrey case and then um, and just recently in this case in Louisville of a woman whose house was raided, she was killed. And um, thinking about like all the kinds of violences that we face, I mean, you know, yes, the violence of, of virus and its attack on the human body and, and, and bodies, 
um, and then the, 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 the gun violence. We live in a violent world, right? And, but the invitation that I think is behind all that, to those of us who have the wherewithal to, to do it, and not that we can always do this, but when we can to create art out of, you know, out of the residuals. Um, and in this case, you know, out of a bullet casing, because that's what we've been left with. You know, that, that's the, I don't know where that can, you know, I live in a pretty safe neighborhood. I mean, there, um, but what does that even mean? What, what does that mean? Um, uh, because, you know, and that was the interruption. That was the reality check that, you know, again, um, these are different times. <laughs> and uh, we have a different call. And so in what Sophia was saying about the elements, um, and there was a create, creative spark in that to remember the elements, but also as I was walking through the elements today, remembering that, yeah, you know, there are some things that aren't natural to the elements that we're also um, called to call, called um, to remember and to do something with. So I took that, I take that as that was sort of my morning meditation um, and kind of take that as, as a continued call to make out of what we have out of the residuals of life that we have right now um, to make um, to make art, um, not art in the museum sense, you know, but art in the more practical sense that there is a beauty to the everydayness of life when we pick it up and, and you know, use it as fodder. Um, uh, for our living. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. Thank you. And again, thank you both for being here and being with us. And we just hope to see you again and to hear you again in the days and weeks to come. Thanks for listening along with us today. We recognize that having a podcast is one thing and having folks listen and engage with it is entirely another. We're grateful you're here, you're listening, you're journeying, you're engaging. The Academy and all of its offerings exist because of you. Feel free to share this podcast with others. May it be a balm, a prayer, a guide, an inspiration, a beacon of hope in your daily lives. To hear more from faculty and wisdom guides in the area of spiritual formation, and to learn more about Academy offerings, visit us online at academy.upperroom.org. Thank you.